Oh, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. I, of course, am he, Mr. Warren Hayes, welcoming you, welcoming you with, with open arms to another uh, podcast where I talk about professional wrestling right here on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes or on your favorite podcast feed, whatever, where, wherever you may be listening to this. We're recording this on October 6th. 2022 uh, it's been a again another eventful week in pro wrestling and a lot of stuff that I go over again tonight that I'll be happily sharing with you uh whenever you decide to listen to this you can be watching this right now on youtube.com slash Mr. Warren is and if you are look consider giving a like right now on the video uh consider leaving some comments consider subscribing that way you won't miss a thing that'd be really really awesome if you if you did that and you can also become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes show channel and when you do that on youtube of course when you do that you get access to my members only stream uh, streams uh which uh, include going broadway which is the show where i continue talking about stuff happening in wrestling uh that i didn't have time to talk about on the show let's be real i just talk too much about other stuff and don't stick to my plan at all. So what's the point? Well, like do stuff for the members only. So you have to become a member to get all that extra content. Um, and it shows a little support as well. And that would be appreciated. Thank you very much. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, well, hey, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. A five-star rating on Spotify, that would also be great. Hey, you're listening on Spotify right now? Because you can also be watching me right now. The videos are back on Spotify, so that's fantastic. Uh, I appreciate any type of support you can show on that level would be extraordinary. You can also join the Mr. Warren Hayes Show Discord where we continue talking about pro wrestling you know, all the time. <laughs> so the Discord is right there. You can join us and it's a good time. Uh, and uh, listen, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Of course, I'm going to be uh, going through Dynamite like I like I usually do. Uh, we are going to um, chat about Antonio Inoki as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of lose my patience at, uh, regarding a, a certain uh, 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 alumni of the wrestling business. Um, well, it'll be coming up. You'll get to hear it. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Oh, and and wrestlers punching each other backstage. Oh boy, let's get to it. Thank you for being here. Yeah, we are just about ready to do this. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for this? Something nice about Bill Goldberg. Robin Hayes has 52 nice things to say about Goldberg. Goldberg's voice sounds more Italian than Chris Pratt's. Topical. Topical. God, I'm so topical. I should be writing for Saturday Night Live. That's how fucking topical I am. <laughs> right? Right, am I right? Um, before we get into the weekly wrestling inspection per se, um, there, there have been a couple of uh, deaths that have occurred uh, in the world of wrestling, uh, which is already too many. First of all, Surprisingly, former Tough Enough uh, competitor Sarah Lee passed away, age 30, completely out of the blue. Her mother put up a statement on uh, on her Facebook page, I believe, um, stating that uh, that she had passed away and that it was unexpected. And they're just all, you know, nothing's been put together. We don't understand exactly what happened, but it just came as a surprise. And uh, 
that that's like an absolute um, it's an absolute tragedy and uh we wish uh, we wish her nothing her family and everyone who survives her her children uh we wish them our deepest consult condolences and um in in these very 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 trying times i can only imagine how difficult it can be um and a few days ago towards the end of last week uh we learned about the death of uh antonio inoki we learned about it about a week ago uh, that he had passed away at the age of 79 now news that started to spread on uh, saturday october 1st in uh, in japan friday evening for us his health had been a concern for a while and it took its toll on this legendary figure of professional wrestling he was born in 1943 born kanji inoki in yokohama he got into wrestling after being discovered by ricky dozan in brazil uh inoki had been working there at a vegetable stand that was owned by his uh, his family um went back to japan to train and inoki debuted in pro wrestling as a pro in 1960 in uh, JWA and was pushed alongside uh, Shohei Giant Baba uh, and uh, both of those guys were uh, were uh, singled out, were picked out by Ricky Dozan to continue on his legacy and the legacy of Japanese pro wrestling. Um, that, uh, Inoki and Baba taking Ricky Dozan's place would happen faster than anyone would have imagined since three years after his debut, Ricky Dozan tragically passed away, and um, uh, Inoki left uh, left and returned to JWA to team with Giant Baba, where his star power truly did rise alongside Baba's as well. Both of these men's ambitions would take them uh, down different routes, though. Uh, Giant Baba left. Uh, Jeff left JWA in 1971 to form All Japan Pro Wrestling and Inoki in 72 to found New Japan Pro Wrestling. Inoki would have, um, Inoki would even uh, have New Japan join the NWA uh, in 1976. Um, the, the guy in and about himself is is an icon uh, in, in wrestling and many would argue that promoting himself was his biggest strength. Uh, John Pollock of Pro Wrestling wrote it probably uh, in the best here, quote, Inoki's greatest marketing concept was himself protecting, projecting on a, an image of legitimacy and booking other mainstays of combat sports to come into New Japan as a pseudo proving ground where Inoki could could prevail and sell to his audience that he was the toughest fighter in the world. Uh, and this would be a trend that Inoki would develop for years. You know, he, early on he defeat he would have defeated Olympic gold medalist William Willem, excuse me, Ruska uh, in '76, and eventually, of course. He would have his legendary fight with Muhammad Ali, where Inoki saw himself as legitimize, legitimizing himself as an international athlete and a tough guy. And as bad as the match was, really, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of a uh, lot of legend, a lot of romanticizing around the the Ali match, but it's bad. And despite the fact that Ali, you know, got hurt in the match, this was a huge deal. 
for uh, that uh, completely internationally to the point that many members of the NWA, like, this is how big it was, many members of the NWA carried the event in closed circuit broadcasting the fight in stadiums, in arenas, more, more uh, to, to an audience which would be accompanied by an undercard. You know, like Vince Sr., Vince McMahon Sr., he ran Shea Stadium on this event, which also featured Bruno Sammartino versus Stan Hansen. Uh, the AWA ran Chicago Stadium. Uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling ran the Omni, world-class, ran the, spor the Sportorium. Like, it was such a big deal that, you know, everyone everyone in the NWA was even able to, 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 to make some money off of it, but it said, like, the only, like, it's only the WWWF that ended up being able to turn a buck on this event. Um, Inoki did end up getting some really good press off of it, while most of the boxing slash sports press you know, laughed off the event. Um, New Japan would have high levels of success in the, in the early 80s off of uh, the backs of Inoki, Riki Chosu, Tatsumi Fujinami, and the first Tiger Mask, of course, Satoru Sayama. Uh, again, John Pollock says, quote, uh, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship was created in June 1983 with Hulk Hogan becoming the inaugural champion after knocking out Inoki in the final of the IWGP League final. Not, like knocking out, like knocking him out of the tournament is what we're talking about. Uh, Inoki would defeat Hogan one year later by countout. Because Hogan was WWF champion at the time and was not doing jobs even to someone the level of Inoki. Like even back then, it didn't work for him, brother. After the belt was deactivated, the championship with the lineage that is attached to today's version that was created in 1987 with Inoki being the first holder of the title until vacating it in May 1988 due to injury. Later on, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling would become the world stage for the junior heavyweights, right? Spearheaded by Tiger Mask and, uh, and a newcomer uh, named uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, which would introduce an entirely different style of wrestling that would draw in competitors from across the world and would shape how wrestling is executed even to this day. Enoki retired from active in-ring competition in 1998 in front of a sold-out Tokyo Dome that reportedly did a $7 million gate and sold $2.6 million in merch. He defeated former MMA pioneer Don Fry, who had recently transitioned into pro wrestling in less than five minutes. There had been a tournament right throughout the card. So basically, Fry won his way to, to, to defeat Inoki, uh, to fight Inoki and then lose in five minutes. Uh, after his retirement would begin a period in New Japan, which is typically referred to as Inokiism, where Inoki uh, would create a stage to show off pro wrestlers as the toughest people on earth by having them fight actual MMA fighters in a work-shoot-match hybrid. As MMA was on, the, was on the uptick, people were getting more and more excited about it, and, you know, while the concept might have sounded exciting, it was actually quite dangerous as, uh, you know, a lot of wrestlers aren't necessarily bred to go in and start shooting live rounds. And uh, 
you know, look, there's a couple of examples of this, like a young upstart named Shinsuke Nakamura would get a broken eye socket in one of the matches. Keizuki Fujita would go on savage mode on, on Hiroshi Tanahashi. And perhaps most famously, uh, Yuji Nagata, IWGP champion, gets pummeled into a knockout by Mirko Krokop. Not exactly the best look for your promotion when, you're, uh, when your top guy is being beat to hell like that. There's another example, and you know, not just people getting, there's also examples of, of, of Enoki, Enokiism being a little, a little askew, a little weird, not just because wrestlers were getting the shit kicked out of them, but there were also strange booking decisions on top of that. Tadao Yasuda, who was a lower card wrestler in the 1990s, went to MMA, managed to pick up a couple of wins. Enoki goes, hey, look at this kid. Look at this guy. Straps a rocket to him, pushes him, makes him IWGP champion. And it ends up being a reign that was absolutely not well received at all. Um, you know, and you, you even have... Uh, Kensuke, uh, Kensuke Sasuke, who dropped out of a Pancrase fight uh, against Minoru Suzuki in 2002. So, Enoki was like, hey, I'm going to send, I'm going to send one of my guys over to fight this Minoru Suzuki character in this Pancrase environment. I'll send Jushin Thunder Liger as a replacement. You know, Jushin Thunder Liger, the, the, the innovator of the junior heavyweight style, you know, not necessarily, you know, uh, adept in, in, in specific mixed martial in, in, in mixed martial arts or just martial arts, period. Um, you know, it, it, you know, you, you look at Liger and you're like, is this guy a shoot fighter? <laughs> of course, like Suzuki choked him out like in two minutes. It's ridiculous. Um and, and Enoki believed, of course, this connected with his vision, as we mentioned earlier, right, of, you know, of bringing in, like, legitimate athletes into pro wrestling to legitimize pro wrestling and at the same time. And, and, and this vision that he had throughout the 2000s for New Japan ended up dri driving away a bunch of people, uh, Shinya Hashimoto, who had been uh, one of New Japan's top draws? He he had enough of all of this. Went to found uh, Zero One. Masahiro Chono started to wrestle less and started you know getting involved in non wrestling ventures. And Kaiji Mudo, the great Muda, spent a year working cross promotional matches with All Japan, and then he ended up defecting there because because he was done. He was done with the shoot style stuff. Throughout all this time, attendance dwindled, revenue dropped, and New Japan was making records, but for all the wrong reasons. One of their Tokyo Dome shows drew the lowest of the venue's history, despite, um, despite, despite setting attendance records a few years previous to that. Uh, in 2005, Inoki's majority stock in New Japan was bought by uh, Yuke's, the video game company. This effectively ended Inoki's 33-year tenure as the owner of New Japan. Of course, he wasn't quite done with wrestling. He launched the Inoki Genome Federation in 2007, 
I guess the highlight of that was him booking the final match, the final singles match ever between Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle for the IGF Championship, right? The Inoki Genome Federation Championship, which in reality was New Japan's IWGP Heavyweight Championship that Lesnar never relinquished. Outside of everything he did in wrestling, uh, he had a political career. He was elected, first elected in 1989 until 1995. He then returned to politics, uh, elected again in 2013, right up to 2019. Um, you know, I'm not exactly familiar with all of his policies or what he stood for, what he stood on, what his platform was, so on and so forth. And, you know, but uh, you know, there are notable events that he that that happened. While he was uh, while he was a politician, he uh, you know he for instance secretly negotiated with uh, Saddam Hussein to uh, release uh, Japanese nationals being used as his uh, uh, human shield. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember when Saddam did that back in the early '90s, using a, a human shield to avoid uh, uh, to avoid strategic bombing of certain targets before the Gulf War broke out. Uh, he uh, he bought an island from Fidel Castro. He called it Friendship Island. The legend is that uh, Castro uh, convinced him that uh, there was a there was hidden treasure, there was buried treasure on the island. So Inoki Inoki bought it, uh, and um, he uh, he even planned to fight the uh, murderous Ugandan dictator Idi Amin, but uh, thankfully that fight never happened. Uh, and he also held good ties with the North Korea. Are you? Are we seeing a pattern here? Are we? Are we seeing a pattern? Something that wasn't really known uh, was revealed uh, more recently, like just a few years ago. But we didn't know all of this. Uh, he secretly converted to Islam and changed his name to Muhammad Hussein Inoki officially. Overall, look, Inoki's uh, legacy on uh, in wrestling and wrestling, not just Puro, is undeniable. From helping the business grow and put on a showcase of sports-based presentation, um, a lot of what's being done in North America today was being done in Japan uh, athletically in the 80s and 90s. Uh, sure, of course, it was the wrestlers who worked the style that ultimately innovated it, but Inoki promoted it, put it forward, and, and allowed it to thrive in his promotion. Um, he did put New Japan through some of its darkest years at the same time. So, a few years uh, in the 2000s where people were convinced that the company would not survive, but um, uh, which really does kind of make his, uh, his legacy a bit of a, uh, a, big, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, but nonetheless, and even to this day, New Japan is a place where wrestlers would go to create legitimacy for their careers. And it's been instrumental in the development of many North American success stories. A lot of people that we enjoy watching today um, have had a, a career path that has taken them through New Japan. Of course, like I said, Inoki's stubbornness, stubbornness and desire to mold wrestling into his view during the, the aughts did do damage. Uh, but uh, his legacy is one that will be difficult to outdo and outshine 
And Antonio Inoki was truly, 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 truly larger than life. Passed away, 79 years old. Condolences to his surviving family members. A true giant of pro wrestling. That is, uh, that, uh, is unfortunately no longer with us. Let's get right into the weekly wrestling inspection. Before I get into the AEW Dynamite review, I want I want us to I want us to get a little a little pissed off. I want us to no, but look. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens on Twitter that, you know, I, I know a lot of people get really unnerved about. But, and, 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 you know, and I try, I, I try here as much as possible on the show to keep that, keep that separate, you know, focus on the wrestling, focus on the stories, focus on the business, because that's what's interesting here, right? But this one, I, can, I, I, I cannot let this, I can't let this just slide away. Gonna say hello to Kristen Ashley, the first lady of the Mr. Warren Hayes show. Yeah. Welcome, Kristen. So there's this podcast called 83 Weeks that is uh that's uh, uh hosted that's uh, the uh, that, that that's produced by Conrad Thompson and features um Eric Bischoff former head dude of world championship wrestling and i look eric bischoff these days he's running a gimmick okay he's running it he's running a thing he's he's absolutely pandering to his audience and that's fine i do the same he's out and, and and there's i don't have a problem with that he can do whatever he wants right and, and he's um you know his his audience is uh you know mostly made up of people who remember that era and who remember it fondly and are like you know they just they want the nostalgia they want to go back and remember all those things and 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 be reminded it's like oh yeah you know what man uh the monday night wars are the greatest time in the in the, in the history of professional wrestling i miss it so much and, you know today's wrestling stinks and all that right okay let's go that's fine but this is what he pulls out this week Oh, Mizzy 20, nice to see you. Welcome. You're right here. You're here right on time. He's he's doing his little podcast thing and he's talking and then I'm going to read this quote because this bothered me on many levels. Quote, I'm going to get burned. I'm going to get crucified for, for what I'm about to say. But guess what? I don't care. I'm just not that big a fan of wrestling matches. I'm a big fan of the story and the way the show is architected, built, formatted, created. I'm a big fan of new ideas. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Now, <laughs> I'm trying... I'm still trying to 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 see what's the best angle to 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 dig in here. 
what's the best way to, to go at this? But I think, I think we have to start with the idea that for 30 years or so, it turns out, folks, we had two people in charge of national wrestling promotions who don't like wrestling. They like the stories, but they don't like wrestling. This guy and Vince McMahon, who openly wanted, who openly wanted to do anything but wrestling, a couple of self-loathers who are in the business, they're making money, they're producing wrestling for millions of viewers, and they're like, I don't like what I do. No. I wish I could only tell the stories. Vince literally spent his lifetime and failing at it, by the way, to rebrand the industry, to have people stop calling it professional wrestling because um, um, professional wrestling, that that's for mud people. You know, it's for, you do that in smoky bars. You know, what I do is highbrow. It's not It's not this, this low-level dirt. It's not pro wrestling. My boys, my girls, they're sports entertainers, right? Right? And, and then on top of that, he tries to get into bodybuilding and it doesn't work. He tries to get into movies and it doesn't work. He Restaurants, football, anything other than fucking wrestling. And Vince was never able to get out. The only thing he was ever good at, except maybe the last few years, anything he was ever good at, he hated it. And now we've got this other dork who a lot of people turn to as the alternative. Oh, this is the one, you know, at least, and he's saying, you know what? I don't like wrestling matches. I don't. I like the stories. Here's another guy, right? Here's another guy. Oh, he hated wrestling so much. He was kicked out, but oh, geez, did he ever try to buy it back though? Putting putting together his little conglomerate of of, of, of people to try and buy buy back WCW, right? Oh, but he he hated it so much. He had to go back to TNA, right? He had to go back to Impact with his buddy Hulk and try to recreate that Bischoff magic, which led to nothing, nothing. Hates wrestling so much, loves the story, so he starts up his his you know a, a production company with Jason Hervey, you know his good buddy Jason Hervey, right? Whose claim to fame is being Fred Savage's older brother that showed up for two scenes on an episode of of, of, of what was it called? Uh, you know what show I'm talking about? These were the people who were in charge of wrestling. These are the people who are putting wrestling on our TV week after week after week. And then you wonder how wrestling got so bad. You wonder how, why were WWE biggest promotion in the world has been bleeding viewership for the past decade. Why wrestling fans are turned off by the product on TV. Because look who was in charge. Two people were like, I couldn't care less about wrestling matches. I want to tell stories. We got to tell stories. We want to tell stories. The stories are so important. <clears throat> and then I see stuff. I see stuff in response to this. 
you know, I kind of like. And they're saying, you know what? The in-ring these days, it's the in-ring is so good these days, matches don't captivate me anymore. This is stuff that I have seen people respond to, to Eric. You're right, Eric. The wrestling is too good these days. I need more. I need me, I need me a, a I need me a rabbit, a, a white rabbit to run after. I need, I need dudes with kiss cams. I need stalker angles. Cause the wrestling's too good. It's not enough for me. You know, I don't understand it. I don't understand this mentality. I really don't. And and there are people, there are people that I chat with regularly and people that I have very civil conversations about this because they I, 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 I am very much a guy who likes the athleticism. I like wrestling. I like a good wrestling match as opposed to the story. The story should elevate whatever I'm watching, not the opposite. It shouldn't drown the wrestling in this, in pudding. The wrestling should always be the end result. So I'm like, wh why do you watch wrestling if not for the matches? Are you really watching for the stories? Because the end result of every story, of any story, has to be a wrestling match. And the basic story of any wrestling match is this. These are paid fighters. They are paid to get into a ring and fight to get a winner. So that the winner makes more money than the loser. And then the winner, you know, goes up in the rankings and eventually gets a title shot. That's the basic story. Everything else is gravy. I'm not saying stories don't have their place in pro wrestling. You can, a good story will make me care about a match much more than it already should. And that's normal. MJF CM Punk is an excellent example of that. Well done, well executed. Cuck angles, maybe not as much. Kinda distracts from what the end product really should be. And I don't understand, and I, I, I and I talk characters and stories. I think this is Garrett Kidney on, on Twitter that talked that mentioned this. Characters and stories exist to make people care about the wrestling matches. They are not separate side ideas where both things exist in silos. If you don't like wrestling matches, you don't like wrestling. You don't get it. You don't understand what it's for. You don't understand what the stories are for. It's really just that simple. And, 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 and it's only in wrestling, it's only wrestling fans who will complain about this and will say this kind of bullshit. When is the last time you heard someone say, you know what, I love this comedy show, but the jokes are too funny. I gotta take a step. I wish there was more murder. I wish there was more, I wish there was more psychological horror. When is the last time anyone has said only wrestling fans have this twisted mentality about it? And you know what? It's not even Vince's fault anymore. It's Bischoff on top of that. Don't like wrestling matches. For the past 30 years, we've depended on these two men. They were, they were the figureheads. 
during the, the boom period of wrestling, right? In the 90s, that the Monday Night Wars, the Attitude Era, right? That, oh, that turnstile of comparison upon which all wrestling is to be judged forever and ever. That's who we turn to, both of them. God damn, this silly wrestling getting in the way of all of our stories. It pisses me off. It, and, and, and I don't know how much of a bit it is. I don't. I really don't. But Bischoff still has influence. He still is considered, an, he, he still has reach because people see what he did in the past. You know, the, those 83 weeks of success disregarding everything else he tried to do that just completely fell apart and 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 and, and, and crumbled around him i think it's hilarious that in 2022 eric bischoff has successfully rebranded himself as a successful businessman as a successful media type when he has not been able to replicate any level of success that he got in the mid-90s, when he power-played his way into getting WCW and bringing in WWF's biggest stars. He has not been able to replicate it. And I'm I am convinced at this point that the only reason why he takes so many shots at AEW and, 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 and exposes himself week after week by trying to tear down the product is because he's pissed off that Tony Khan is able to run a successful national wrestling promotion outside of WWF, WWE, excuse me, and he was never able to do it after WCW, after he was, after, after he was removed. I, I respect the grift tremendously, but I also expect, look, I've said, I I do believe that listeners, viewers of the Mr. Warren Hay Show are a cut above. I really do. So I don't expect you to fall into these trappings and be like, look, mm, Eric is probably right. He's most likely not. And his jealousy is transparent, it's petty. And it's still fascinating. Honestly, it is so fascinating to me. Eric Bischoff, the business of wrestling podcast. As if we should be taking any cues from him. Eric Bischoff had inordinate amounts of resources as an executive producer of a show to do what he did not build WCW, he did not build anything. In, in the in, in, in the south in the southern territories he didn't do he didn't do anything he forced his way in and his big tactic was bringing in big stars from the outside and copying one of Japan's most successful angles that's his that's it let's jump into the AEW Dynamite review third anniversary show 
from the entertainment and sports arena in Washington, D.C., the national capital of the nation that is called the United States of America, the third anniversary without, without most of AEW's key founding members. Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Cody Rhodes, Brandy Rhodes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, none of them are there. Little strange. I know a lot of people made a big deal out of... Um, a lot of people made a big deal out of, uh, uh, you know, um, the uh, the fact that oh they didn't even mention CM Punk, they didn't even mention Omega. So, look, if there's if there if there's legal wranglings going on, you, you you don't fuck with that shit. You really don't. Just let go, let go, let go. Should we talk about Andrade then? Should we just get it out of the way? Should we just do it and that'll be done? Because I, you know, it. I, 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 I think that's the best way to go about it, chat, uh, right? I, I really think that's the best way to go about it because it's, um, it, it, it's the elephant in the room. It's the umbrella. I don't know what you call it, but this is what you have to do. You know. Um. On Wrestling Observer Radio this week, and I'm reading this article off of uh, off of the uh, Figure Four Online. J- uh, Josh Nason or Nasan wrote this on Wrestling Observer Radio. Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez discussed everything they heard in the wake of Guevara and Andrade's backstage skirmish Wednesday that resulted in the latter being sent home. Latter meaning the last person mentioned, ergo. Andrade El Idolo. Following their back and forth on Twitter this week after an Andrade interview where he said had an issue with Guevara, Meltzer said both men were talked to Tuesday and were told no fighting or else both would be sent home. In Andrade's case, he was told he would not be fired if he got into a fight. Both agreed and said there would be no issues. Meltzer said he got five different accounts of what happened, three of which were identical, with the fourth being pretty close to the other three. This is where I'd love to hear the fifth account. This is where I'd love to hear the fifth account, right? Where the fifth account is like, uh, well, listen, David, uh, uh, Penelope Ford, uh, she got on her knees behind uh, uh, Andrade and uh, keep Sabian came up forward and started talking to him close and then uh, she tripped he tripped over Andrade tipped over a, 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 a Penelope Ford and then Sami Guevara came and went <laughs> you know I'd love to hear what the what the fifth version is anyway the consistent story is that Guevara did not throw any punches or fight back even after Andrade punched him possibly a sucker punch according to what Meltzer and Alvarez have heard one account had Andrade spinning Guevara around Guevara then pushing him and Andrade punching him 
Milzer said he had heard Andrade was waiting in a hallway for Guevara and got two punches in before it was broken up. He noted that despite the punches, Guevara didn't have any marks on him for his main event match on Wednesday's Dynamite. Yes, he was a he was a clean-shaven pretty boy, wasn't he? Well, Andrade's side uh, is what was originally reported by TMZ. Both Meltzer and Alvarez noted that if Guevara threw the first punch and had indeed fought Guevara, he wouldn't have worked the main event with Christopher Jericho against Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson. Andrade was sent home, and there is no word on what AEW plans to do with him now. It was noted that he is under contract for several more years, and there is speculation he would like to return to WWE. Part of the reason for this behavior this week. Ah, Jesus. You know, the fifth, we're talking about the fifth account is Jose, the assistant, which which is considered, you know, it's Roosh, right? It has to be Roosh. You know, anyway, look. Um, is it my my initial thought here? Because this this has caused a lot of discussion. And look, we're talking about it here. You know, I'm not above it. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm I'm not above this this, this type of discussion. But this has caused a lot of discourse and a lot of chat and a lot of discussion. And it's wild that two mid-carders can generate so much uh, attention. It's just wild to me. Like, if we're talking about, you know, Kenny Omega and CM Punk and the Jack, like, these are bona fide top-tier, important, slash, crucial stars to AEW. We're not talking about, like, fucking, you know, uh, 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 we're, we're, you know, we're not talking about, like, Brock Anderson getting into a, a into a, a melee with, I don't know, Slim J. Like, who cares, right? Like, that, who cares, Everyone is, now the analysis is, you know, is sloppy schlop, you know, what's going on, AEW locker room in disarray, you know, it'll never get better. These are two guys. These are two guys. The thing here, it seems to be like this recurring pattern because so many people, because of what happened at All Out, first and foremost, and everything that had been brewing before. But it all related with CM Punk, right? All related with this this level of dislike with uh, with CM Punk. You know, I had all of this, all of these feelings, and you know, the stuff with Hangman Page, you know, MJF, and you're under the impression that no one's happy. But when you look at it, when you take you take a step back, it's like only a few individuals. We're not talking about an entire locker room of over 120 people. I promise you there are people backstage who are looking at this go like this with their hands behind their head and they're like, I am staying out of it because that means that's one, one, two, or three less people that I have to worry about to take my spot or that I can move up and take their spots. This is how wrestling works. 
Everyone going around, this is, you know, chaos. And yes, it's chaos. And it's great. So unprofessional. So, well, blame Andrade. <laughs> blame Andrade hitting the interview circuit and telling everyone that Sammy Guevara got, you know, went backstage to cry about the fact that Andrade hit him too hard. Blame Sammy, who went on Twitter to subtweet about it, and then everything exploded from there. You know, it's like, and you can't have it two ways either, because now, you know, a lot of people that will just let them go, they're independent contractors. Well, you can't have it two ways. You can't say, control your employees, Tony Khan, versus they're independent contractors, they should do whatever they want. They should be able to leave whatever they want. You can't have it both ways. This just speaks to a lack of professionalism from everyone involved. It's just as simple as that. It's really just as simple as that. Now, Andrade, he, I, I don't know when they talked on Tuesday, but I remember him tweeting out, you know, see you on Wednesday, Sammy, LOL, or something like that. You know, basically underlying the idea that he was going to take a swing at him or he was, you know, he was going to be looking for him kind of thing. This is all premeditated. And if Andrade wants to go back to WWE, let him go be Paul's problem. But I don't, it's funny. It's funny because I don't think that's what it is. Why would, he have, why would he have secured contracts for his pals if he was like, I, I'm sick of it here, I want to go. They just signed Roosh. Uh, the Bandito stuff is up in the air now. Like, we got a report that he was signed. It turns out, no, no. He also got an offer by WWE and he's entertaining that. And so, you know. Of course, Bandito at this point, he's like, well, if Andrade's fucking off, I don't want to stay around here. You know, kind of thing. You know. Whatever the reason, let, you know, it's, let the man go. Let the man go. Because I dare anyone to tell me how much of a game changer Andrade El Idolo is going to be if he goes back to WWE? What They had him, didn't do shit with him, and he was pissed off. So what did he do? He fucked off to AEW. And he was there. He didn't quite exactly tear the house down. What is he going to do? What is he, honestly, what... What kind of needle mover can Andrade El Idolo be for WWE? I really want everyone to think about that. We're not talking about, we're not talking about MJF. We're not talking about Omega, the Bucks, Hangman Page, Mox, Chris Jericho, Britt Baker. We're talking about Andrade, perennial mid-carder Andrade. Let him go. Let him go because he's not worth this hassle. I can't imagine anyone sitting around going, yeah, uh, everyone in, the, you know, in, in talent relations or whatever the hell they call it in the AEW. Going, oh, well, you know, this, uh, you know, Andrade, it sucked to lose him. Why would it suck to lose him? 
There's an embarrassment of riches, of talent in AEW that you can you, you barely get to see in a month. You barely get to see the entire rest, the entire roster within a month. Let him go. And my stance is the same with WWE. A talent wants out, let him go. Mustafa Ali wanted to go. They should have released him. They should have let him go. Why would you keep disgruntled staff working for you? I don't understand that. I never did. We won't be entertaining any releases. We won't be releasing anyone. That's on you, pal. And I think it stinks. Because whatever, whatever you think about Andrade at this point and what he's done, there's no reason for Tony to send him home and, and tell him, sit down, sit the rest of your contract out. You know, pull a Neville on him. Because the guy, this is the thing, right? It's like pro wrestlers have a shelf life. They honestly do. Even though they have longer careers than they had even 20, 30 years ago, they all have a shelf life and they all want to get the maximum of what they want out of the period that is allotted to them. That's why they wrangle for spots. That's why they're protective of what they have. That's why they want more. That's why pro wrestlers are never happy. And I mean that lovingly. It's not a critique. It's not a, I'm not bitching. That's how it is. Wrestlers are never happy because they know their time is short. They got to do the best with what they have. So it would suck for Andrade for whatever time is left on his contract to just be told week after week, no, we're good, stay home. No, we're good, stay home. <coughs> it really would. Because the investment that he put into his body, into training, into conditioning himself to be an athlete, to be a pro wrestler, to then be locked down into a contract where he can do nothing? Nothing? No, man, that, that, that's not right. That's not cool at all. Let him go. Let let uh, trips drool all over him. Welcome home. Welcome home. Put him back up with Zelina because everyone wants that. Let him be Paul's problem. Let Paul figure it out with the rest of the people that he's that he's bringing back, with the NXT call-ups that he's doing, and with Cody looming in, on the horizon, ready to come back. That's all. That's honestly, let him go. But I, I, we have all these accounts. Andrade threw the punch first. Like, okay, like, okay. Maybe it's, I can also understand the ego of a boss. It's not even a question of ego. It's like, if you're Tony Khan, do you set this precedent? where then you just let people slug each other in the locker room. You know, anyone who wants to, anyone who, who wants to leave the company, is like, I, I want to get fired. Just walk up to someone and go, boom, sucker punch them. In the, 
Oh, yes, I hate it here. Take me away. Send me off. Uh, put uh, me in the box and ship me to Connecticut. You know, it's like, it's, it, that's a dangerous precedent at the same time. So, you know, I, like I get, I get these, these very uh, 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 intricate, um, uh, these very intricate situations that, that Tony has to deal with as, uh, uh, as well. You know, it's like, I do have to ask, I do have to ask. And I've asked it a couple of times on Twitter. And I'm going to ask it here. And it's going to be a rhetorical question. I don't have the answer. But I do have to ask. Why is Sammy always involved though? Is it is it a situation where it's like... <clears throat> you know, is it just a situation where... Sammy's a hothead... And you want to get, you, you know, you want to get some, get into trouble or whatnot. And it's like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I'll say the wrong thing to Sammy because Sammy's going to get pissed off or whatever. I don't know. He's, why, you know. People seem to forget, you know. Sammy pulled a, uh, that's not going to work for me, brother. Last year with uh, Impact. Was it last year or the year before? Not supposed to go to Impact. Probably supposed to have a program with Ace Austin, which would have ruled. And somehow it turned into a, well, you know. <laughs> Look, honestly, if we're, you know, right now, the AEW locker room is clearly trying to expunge itself from poison right there's been a lot of stuff that happened a lot of stuff that's happened but um they're you know clearly they you know they want to set things right they want to put things back on the on rails and make things good again right get rid of the tumors get rid of whatever's poison in the well there's no point in keeping this around, right? The, anyway, the third anniversary Dynamite started off with MJF defeating Wheeler Yuta. And I thought this was a very, very good match. Such a good, good match. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for all of you who weren't compelled enough by this match. You know, I know the wrestling is so good. Jeez, it's so hard to get into. I'm, I'm sorry. This was one of those, right? Um... <laughs> And this is where you know Eric Bischoff is full of shit. Hang on a second. We're just going to make a, a, a slight turn, not a hard right. More like a, like a, a little 45-degree turn here. This is how you know he's full of shit because he tweets out last night. As Dynamite is going, oh, great match. Wish I know why it was happening. Motherfucker, they've been doing angles for this for the past three weeks. Fucking exposed yourself. It's just an, Or you're just being, you're, you're being willingly an idiot. Because you're like, what, you mad? What, you mad? I don't understand. Isn't this the weirdest shit? This, 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 this ploy, this vision where it's like, I'm going to get people mad. And that's how I'm going to build my career. That's how I'm going to, to create something. This is how I'm going to get some, some kind of staying power. Uh, this is how I'm going to build my audience by getting people mad at me. This is so 
fucking weird. It's like, oh, the haters, the haters give me my, my strength, my energy. And it's like, I could never do that. I could never thrive in that type of situation. And, 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 and it just boggles everything I have ever understood about building an audience, about creating an audience. Customers, why would you piss off potential customers? Why would you make them mad? No, it's very important to stunt your growth because the haters, oh yeah, the haters. The haters don't buy your fucking merch, you moron, anyway. What were we talking about? So yeah, this was a very good match. This was a very good match. Um, and, uh, and, and especially... The second half, I really dug the second half of this match. Be, when, when, when MJF's precision heat building that he had started from the get-go of this match paid off for Yuta when Yuta did his babyface comeback, I thought it was gigantic. MJF in this match, it's a powerbomb on the knee, which, fantastic, you really don't see that a lot. And that was fantastic. The guys reversing it out of pile drivers like their Kazuchika Okada. Springboard avalanche hurricane run by Utes. He does a dive to the floor. Throughout the match, Yuta is trying to do a, a top rope splash, right? But MJF is con constantly just rolling out of reach, right? Well, he does it one time in the match. He thinks he's out of reach. He looks out of reach. He flips off Yuta. But Yuta jumps, nonetheless lands it. Fantastic moment. Salt of the Earth gets the win. Look, I know everyone says MJF is a great heel because he's such a he's so great on the mic and he's such a character and so on and so forth. But what really, really puts him over the top, what really does make him the best heel operating right now in North America, sorry, Seth Rollins, is everything that he does in a match to collect heat. Everything that he does is for the specific purpose of having the of making that baby face come back look credible, exciting, good so that even when he wins, you're like god damn, you'd almost had this. He is a brilliant heel. After the match, lots of post-match angles tonight oh and should we point out this match ended clean as a sheet i think we should after the match after the match uh wheeler yuda offers maxwell a code of honor shake my hand buddy and uh and mjf is struggling with the idea he's having a, a crisis of conscience but as he's having that lee moriarty that sneaky dope Arrives out of nowhere and attacks Yuta from behind. And we're like, oh, Max, you had all of this plan. But no, 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 no. MJF is like, he gets mad at, um, he gets mad at, uh, 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 at, um, Lee. Jesus. The name's right there, Warren. You have it in your notes. Motherfucker. And, 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 and MJF is like, no, what are you doing? I told you not to do this. I didn't tell you to do this. And then Stokely Hathaway shows up and he has the, you know, the diamond ring thing. And uh, and he gives it to, to Max. He says, go on, knock the shit out of him. And Moriarty's holding Yuta. And, 
and 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 MJF this entire time is very conflicted as to whether or not he wants to knock get some extra shots in on, on Yuna, which is very unconventional. William Regal leaves commentary, slides on some brass knuckles, and he's coming down to the ring, and, he's like, and the audience starts to chant to MJF, you fucked up, which was, you see, this, this is why, this is why you missed, this is why you missed live crowds. Just a perfect reaction, beautiful reaction. Friedman hits the bricks. Fantastic, great, great post-match angle. You know, I, I everyone is like, oh, MJF is finally turning heel, uh, baby face. I don't think that's what it is. I, I don't think, I don't think that's what this is. I, you know, it's MJF. He's probably going to try and be a little deceitful with, you know, he, you know he's, we're, we're building a feud with Mox, don't forget. You can't have uh, you can't have MJF be a babyface. You know what I mean. We'll see how all this goes, but this was great. This was great, and I'm glad Chad agrees. The brass knucks was was a it was a nice little callback to villain era Lord Stephen Regal. Justin Firestein? No, excuse, no, Justin Firestein. I said hi to you, but I wanted to say hello to Joe Poulin Jr. One of the beards. One of the two beards. That I sometimes in between of. Nice to see you and welcome. We get a backstage promo from the Jericho Appreciation Society saying that they're going to teach Dan uh, Dan Garcia some manners tonight or whatever. Then, next singles match, Darby Allen defeated Jay Lethal. This was fine. I really have nothing to say about it. I don't... I really don't have uh, much to say here. Um, other than uh, Jay Lethal... Tries to send Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh backstage when they pop up. They're like, no, I can do this by myself. I can do this by myself. But uh, Darby Allen locks in the Last Supper for the win. And Jay Lethal is mad at... Um, he he shakes Darby Allen's hand after the match. See, more stuff after the match. Clean as a whistle. Another clean as a whistle match. Look at this. Um... Yeah, then Jay Lethal leaves the match after shaking Darby's hand and Dutt and Singh are like, what's, where are you doing this? And I was like, it's all right, fine. Then we get a video package from Prince Nana. What is he? He's a Nigerian prince, right? That's the gimmick? He's a, he's a Nigerian prince that used his money to create the embassy. That's the old gimmick from Ring of Honor, right? And the embassy, his boys, the... Uh, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're all there. To lead into this next match here, AEW TNT title match where Wardlow successfully retained the title by defeating Brian Cage. This was my kind of big man, big man match. Big strikes from both guys. Cage and, and just wild shit from two huge... And I... I will... Stand up for Brian Cage till the end of time when people are like, nah, he's, I didn't know he was that good. You know, he's just a big guy. He doesn't do much. Brian Cage, especially seeing this guy live. I will always remember, and it's so, it's so silly. Listen, 
Brian Cage doing a topic on Hilo. You see it on TV all the time. You're like, ah, that, that's cool, right? But when you see Brian Cage do a topic on Hilo live, I'm at Warrior Wrestling, what, uh, last year? And, and I'm sitting there and I've seen Brian Cage do the move dozens of times, but he does it live. The guy is too large to be doing that. He's too huge. He does it too fast. He does it too well. I stood up off of my seat and I popped. For a Topican Hilo that I see every week on TV, but seeing it live, I'm like, this guy, that's ridiculous. He shouldn't be doing that. It's awesome. He reverses a powerbomb attempt into a sit-out Alabama slam. And here's another thing about Brian Cage. Sons of bitches. Here's another thing about him. He's always pulling out shit where you're like, holy fuck, I've never seen that before. Corkscrew, corkscrew dive from the top rope. A, a, a whisper in the wind, if you prefer. By Wardlow. Because he's like, nah, Brian Cage and your weird athleticism. You're not going to get one up on me. Cage does his awesome deadlift suplex as he's got both feet planted on the second rope, bringing Wardlow in off the apron. Just great stuff again. And then the Powerbomb Symphony and Wardlow milks it. And the crowd goes nuts. I've been told Wardlow is cold now. People have been telling me this. Warren, why is Wardlow cold now? Why is why are no one behind him anymore? Yeah, you, you ain't watching the same program I am. I'll tell you that. Excellent third act to this match. Loved this match. Great big guy fight. That clean as a whistle. Huh. Three matches in a row. Clean finishes. <laughs> But after the match, the embassy hit the ring. The, you know, gates of agony, especially, especially particularly in this case, because Brian Cage is already there. They attack Wardlow. Samoa Joe joins in to try and fight them off. And then finally, FTR come out to a huge reaction. And again, this is weird because I've been being told, you know, Warren... FTR, they, they, they don't feel hot anymore. Look, I know people are, I know people are tuned off, turned off, excuse me, and tuned off. Uh, therefore, um, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, the bit that FTR do is like, oh, book us on TV, Tony Khan. You guys have three championships. What the fuck are you talking about? The simple fact is, regardless, despite it all, the simple fact is that there is one dominant tag team in pro wrestling in 2022 today, and it is FTR, it is Cash and Axe, and Dax, I was thinking about, I was thinking about demolition here for a second, and, uh, and there's no, just, there's no two ways about it, and I cannot wait to see their match that they had at the New Japan show last weekend against Aussie Open because all my pals uh, who went to see it in England 
told me it's one of the one of the best matches they saw uh, this year. So I'm not even shocked. I'm not even surprised. That's all FTR has been doing this year. The Briscoes, the Bucks, and now Ozzy o- and Ozzy Open's an excellent tag team on top of that. Like you know, come on now. So they're setting they're setting up a lot of Ring of Honor stuff, right? And I have I have zero patience, zero tolerance anymore. I don't even engage in this. Anyone who's annoyed with the Ring of Honor stuff, keep seeing them on TV, but uh, there's no on oh, no, Dynamite, but there's no Ring of Honor TV. Why should I? Care? I can't I can't do that discourse anymore. It's dumb. It's dumb. Why are you, why, why is, why is the, the, uh, the idea that Ring of Honor doesn't have its own television program, why is that turning you off from enjoying pro wrestlers? Great pro wrestlers on top of that. FTR, Samoa Joe, Claudio Castagnoli, Chris Jericho, Daniel Garcia. The first thing goes, Ring of Honor shit again. Why should I care? My God, man. My God. Like, we're all excited at the prospect of Ring of Honor getting a television, any kind of deal. TV, cable, broadcast, streaming, whatever. But is the fact that you're seeing Ring of Honor titles on a Dynamite show, is it that detrimental to your enjoyment? Is, it, is that ruining the experience so bad for you to the point where you're like, if they don't have a show, I don't care? Wrestling fans really hate wrestling. Maybe Eric is right. We get a backstage promo from Britt Baker telling us AEW doctors have not cleared Soraya and she won't be wrestling, so she should be sent off in bubble wrap. Now, this is how you know you're this is how you know you're a good heel and how people are able to still get worked. Because the explosion of commentary that that created on uh, online on the line, on the internet, on the World Wide Web, on the the the, hot, the information superhighway, is that, look, Britt just said, Soraya is not going to wrestle. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. She's a heel. <laughs> She's in a feud with Soraya. She wants to get under her skin. Why would you believe Britt Baker in character telling you? The AEW doctors have not cleared her. Why would you believe that? Why would you go... Why would, why would you do that? And then people are like, oh, Britt Baker said it's a riot can't wrestle. What a waste. Why'd they bring her in? She's just going to be a, a figurehead. She can't wrestle. Weird. What wasn't weird 
was the six-woman tag match. Athena, Tony Storm, and Willow Nightingale defeating Jamie Hayter, Penelope Ford, and Serena Deeb. Again! Once again, this week, another great showing by the women in a multi-person match. Again! Everyone looked good in this match, and it's a great way to keep booking the women. And look, I've been mentioning the mentioning and the instant marathon. I've been mentioning this over the past couple of weeks, right? We've been talking about this, how you know, I you know, I go and get some information on, on Cage Match, you know, just to make sure I get the card in order and so on and so forth. And you know, I check out the match ratings that the inmates over at, 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 at Cage Match give. And, and I've been telling you guys, right? I always feel that they're too hard on the women, a lot, very low. I think it's a little too low. You know, they've, they've been in the fives, the upper fives, the mid fives. I think it's too low out of 10, right? This one is ranked 6.6 uh, out of 10, which is higher. And the only thing that I can see here, when I, and this is a theory that I, I think I posited maybe last week, I don't quite remember, is like, yeah, I said, you know, I think the cage match people don't like Britt Baker, who wasn't in this match. Britt Baker, how was, and suddenly this match is, <coughs> it's gone up, just as a detail. But look, I've talked about it, and I'm going to repeat it again because I still think it's a good way to do it, and and, and I'm going to hammer this one home. I think right now the women's division is benefiting from these. From a, a New Japan style of wrestling for the division where they're putting women in multi-person matches, tag teams, trios. Let's go to, you know, four versus four. Let's go. And having stories develop like that and having the women get over via their work. First and foremost. And a little... A little uh, um, peek behind the curtain a little inside baseball here um first lady of the mr warren hey show kristen ashley and i had a, a spirited di discussion in this in this direction because as you know you know we are both proponents of, of of women's wrestling we believe in it and we want it to get its proper place um kristen on her end uh is uh, doesn't exactly like this approach she, of course, and I myself would prefer more women's matches uh, creating clear singles feuds, right? Making the singles feuds very, very clear between these two women and pushing them that way, right? And giving them airtime, giving them mic time. Now, and I, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, what if that's not working for you? What if... That approach is not paying dividends for your division, okay? Um, in whichever way it's produced, that that uh, whichever way it's produced in AEW, doing it that way is not working out. Why would you not try this? Why would you not try a more road to approach, road to like the road to shows for New Japan, where all the top actors are in these matches. They're getting themselves over for their work. And then you plant little, little seeds for stories during that that you can grow into singles matches for your big shows. Because the one thing that's not working for the women 
in AEW is the mic work. None of these women outside of Brittany Baker got themselves over because of their mic work. Jamie Hayter is not over because she is a killer promo. It is because she she has in-ring charisma and she's a great worker. Willow Nightingale is not getting an organic boost an organic push right now because she is a, a the a, the the women the woman's Eddie Kingston on the microphone it is because she is fantastic in the ring and has in ring charisma you let Serena Deeb was the same thing in her whole entire pro- program with with uh, Hikaru Shida it was the same thing and it was the same thing with Rio as well all these women got over because of the work not because of their not because of the mic skills now i think i think don't get me wrong what i am not saying is hey just stuff eight women into a match and we're good and we have all of the representation we need. that's a, i would love to see more women's matches don't get me wrong that's that's a target we want equity in this department that's fine but what i'm saying is if your women have trouble getting themselves over because of the mic work, because you're in AEW, a place that is chock full of legendary mic workers, people who can deliver, pro- where the promo bar is so fucking high. How can you expect anyone to, to reach those levels? Right? I think a different approach here is smart. And I have a feeling that that TK is do is it's taking this approach. It's like, look, I've got women who are getting over by their who are getting themselves over via their work, just organically. They're just and he's putting stuff together. He's throwing women together just to see what happens. As a booker should do, by the way, toss a couple of people in a ring. See if anything connects. Oh, they got good chemistry. Oh, they're getting good reactions. Let's run this later. Let's run this in a couple of weeks. Let's build to a rematch. Let's do whatever. But I put over... Look, Kristen says, oh, Lord, of course I came in at this point. She jumped in the chat. But I did put over her point. And she, she does have a really good point where sometimes it's not... Kristen's point being, where is the production? They're supposed to be bringing in these coaches. They're supposed to be bringing in Madison Rain to help them out on, you know, God knows what level. You know, where where is the effort being put into developing these women individually? And she's not wrong too. She's not wrong as well. Like both methods are viable. It's just at this point, you know, we, we've tried it one way and we're trying over and over and over again. What's the definition of insanity? It's trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results every time. And unfortunately, not everyone is a Brit Baker. They brought in Soraya. They brought in Soraya because Soraya can manage on a microphone because she has the charisma. She has the presence. That's... She, because she has that attribute that a lot of others don't have and... As you know, in North America, oh, you need to be good on the mic in North America to get yourself over, right? You can't be like a Kanuska Takeshita, you know, your work can never get you over. You have to be good on the mic or else you're just going to fail, right? You know this. (laughs) 
But and and yes, yes, the the, the Willow's very Willow d- did well. You know, they they all they're, they're all fine. But their mic work is not their strength. And again, another point that Kristen pulls out, which I'm completely in agreement with her as well, is that if they never, if they're never put in these situations where, where they being the women, if they're never put in situations where they have to cut promos, where they have to put be put in danger like that, they'll never improve. They'll never learn, and that's absolutely true. But in a in a circumstance where the head booker clearly doesn't have faith in his women's division, we at least have to try something else. We at least have to give another opportunity for women to get over. And I sincerely believe that there is one promotion in which your work can get you over, and that is AEW, because it's happened. Because we've seen it. Because there have been there, there, there have been these magic moments, these people that have just started to be pushed out of nowhere. Because the audience wanted it. And we're going to see it with Jamie Hayter. We're going to see it with Willow. And, and again, Kristen makes an excellent point as well. Nyla Rose, fantastic on the mic. They don't do shit with her. I don't disagree with those points. And they make a lot of sense. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying my way is the only way. But I can get behind trying something else. Let's talk about the match now. Penelope Ford in this match was great. Did you guys notice how great she was? Simple. Like she didn't, yeah, she she stuck to basics and they were fantastic. And the only like outlandish thing she did was the, you know, the the the, the matrix thing where she falls back to avoid a and from that position hits a cutter. I'm like, holy shit. That ruled. Tony Storm just getting some great offense in, hitting all her spots, looking like a champ. Serena Deeb doing the doing the technical stuff, doing hey that spot where she does you know the leg grapevine with the suplex and doing it in stereo with Jamie Hader, chef's kiss. Great stuff, great reaction from the crowd. And Willow Nightingale, Willow Nightingale. Dr. Bomb for the win. Out of nowhere. Give Willow the goddamn graphic, Tony. Stop this shit. Tony Khan, listen to me. TK. Paying attention? Good. Give yourself a little boost of good PR, okay? You're you're a little ragged these days. You're being, you know, being, you know, Run through the ringer. Is that the expression? Uh, you, you know, the media, the, you know, your public relations haven't been haven't been great these days. Give yourself a little a, a, a little moment of solace. You know, you're the equivalent of turning on some of putting on some essential oils for your for your for your PR. Give Willow the fucking graphic and let everyone be happy and be like, good job, AEW. That was good shit, pal. And now, well, we're going to talk about it in a second. 
after the match. Again, look, hey, look at this. Another match that ended clean as a whistle. Huh. No interference, no nonsense. After the match, Britt Baker is, uh, she's surrounded by all the baby faces and, and she's talking shit to Soraya and then Soraya throws the first punch. She threw the first punch at Britt. Britt has the high ground on this one. And they brawl. Uh, <laughs> uh, Baker gets thrown out of the ring uh, and Rebel is alone in the ring and Soraya kicks her in the head. So, Soraya... Uh, got a little uh, little physical. So much for the bubble wrap. So much for everyone buying into the top female heel in the company telling us that the top babyface in the company is not going to be able to wrestle. Jesus Christ. Hello, Rumble Talk. Welcome. Damn to yourself. We get an, uh, an interview uh, uh, pre-tape <laughs> with Roosh and Jose, the assistant, and uh, private party. They're they're giving private party shit, uh, whatever. The acclaimed hit the ring for an all-timer of a segment. Um, I hope when I say that, I hope when it say that that it has some weight. Um because um I, I I think it's I think it's pretty clear. I've been clear that the whole scissoring thing, the angle with the ass boys, I was not a fan of it, right? I, I think we're I think we're all clear here, right? And you know, there's a lot of things about the the the, the acclaimed gimmick that it doesn't work for me, but I can sit back. Look at this and appreciate how fucking amazing this is. And how everything, everything that has been done with the acclaimed up until this point has just been spot on perfect. And this was an all-timer of a segment. This is going to be, this is going to be one of those that when we're reviewing AEW in 10 years from now, this is going to be one of these one of these segments from AEW that people are going to remember fondly because everything about it was perfect. The execution, the delivery from all three gentlemen in the acclaimed. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm adding Kip into that as well. Uh, Kip Ass is his you know, that that's his Christian name, um, and just fantastic stuff. Right up to the right up to the beatdown. Look, and here's the thing. You get the podium. It's National Scissors, Scissoring Day, which is fantastic. And, and they're having a lot of fun with the scissoring. What does scissoring mean? You know, it, it's a showing of friendship. You know, it's a, they're, of course, they're skirting all around, you know, what it, what it actually means. And that's fine. We're all having a good time with it. And you'd expect Max Caster to be in the ring doing all the talking here, right? But Anthony Bowens... Leading this off with some top, top tier promo shops here. Holy shit. I was in awe. And again, look, I'm you guys already know. I think Anthony, I think Anthony Bowens has tremendous upside. I think he's great 
I've been saying this for, for years at this point. But this here, this was something that I was not expecting out of him. And he dominated that first portion. Just grabbed you in. His, his energy was infectious and he didn't miss a fucking beat. Kip Ass even does a callback to The Rock's millions of millions catchphrase and the entire audience just like, they don't miss a beat there either. They're just like, boop, right on top of it. They have golden scissors, the scissors of the city given to, to the acclaim by, by, by the city hall. And Max Caster in a, uh, a, you know, in a moment of, uh, oh, he is a human after all kind of thing. Talks about how you know his father was a part of the uh, the, the Super Bowl Washington football team's uh, 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 Super Bowl seventeen win, you know, and, and and how the ring was a big deal for him, his Super Bowl ring, and now the you know the, the 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 titles for him are a big deal. So you know it's like, and he says this city also represents the ugly side of our country, the division between us. But we all agree, everyone loves the acclaimed today. There's no left and right, no red and blue. The acclaimed wear pink, and everyone looks great in pink, and the audience is up on their feet. They had that crowd in the palm of their hand the entire time. There is nothing, there is there was no nothing missed. Nothing missed. Everything connected, more than connected. It Everything was a home run here. Everything. Swerve comes out to massive heat, throwing shade on Kip for helping him win the belts, and then he challenges Kip to a match next week. And then Mark Sterling, just to top, just to, to top this all off, Mark Sterling comes out with the petition to get rid of Swerve, right? He, he's bringing that back. And he wants the acclaim to sign, and instead he gets he gets triple teamed. They beat the shit out of him. Good for him. I, there's there is nothing bad to say about this segment. Even if I wanted to, I'd just be bad faith sitting here saying, "Well, I don't really care much about the acclaimed, uh, so this stunk." No, like. This was this was golden, absolutely golden, golden, golden. And you know what? Here's the thing: uh, Bowens was talking about how they were the uh, how they're the you know the best homegrown team in AEW history, and they absolutely are. These are two guys who were not in a tag team. Uh, Tony Khan put them together. It's like okay, you guys uh, do a thing. You know, we're and look, I I at this point I'm repeating myself because I've said the same thing I think multiple times in the lead up to this and in the lead up to All Out. Into Grand Slam, uh, they've just done everything right. Everything right. A couple of goofballs, prelim opening act, jabronis. You know that with one guy coming in, getting heat. Get, but you know the team that you know we're, we're going to lose. Just slowly, slowly building, building uh, their 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 fan base, building appreciation, and then next thing you know, they just take off organic great shit and not a there was a there hasn't been a I still think they should have won the titles at all out because I think all out needed that kind of moment on top of that 
but they corrected course. It's fine. We're we're in, we're in a good place right now. What's uh, what 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 else happened on this show? It was a busy show. We get a Dark Order promo for the trios titles match at Rampage. Here's one thing that we haven't been talking a lot about in this Andrade bullshit. It's how Preston Vance is being cheated out of a big of a, a of a big time opportunity here and he's the real victim in all of this if you ask me he's the he's the guy who's losing out of this situation here with uh with fucking with uh, with all this bullshit with andrade uh, he was probably going to lose his mask it was probably going to be a next step in his, the development of his character and all of this is like no okay well fuck it we're, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next thing it's bullshit it's bullshit. We get a, a promo with uh, Madison Rain and Sky Blue together. There, and then TJ run in, and they're they're gonna have a match on Friday. And 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 I never asked for more Madison Rain on my television. Adam Page defeated Roosh. Uh, and Adam Page, instead of giving the code of honor to begin with, extended the scissors to Roosh. The camera just cut just as he was doing it. And I don't know if y'all noticed, it was like he, he goes like this to Roosh and the camera immediately cuts to a wide shot. I don't know if it, if it was, it was probably, I don't think they were trying necessarily to censor that. I, was, I think it was, uh, I don't think that was the, the objective. It's just, Poor timing on Hangman's part, but that was funny. Good little match that they had going here. Starts off strong. They go to the floor early. There's a sack of shit by Adam Page and a Pescado. Uh, a DVD after catching Roosh out of thin air. Roosh counters with the counters the buckshot. Lariat with a headbutt hits a straight jacket pile driver, but the buckshot lariat ends the match. Good little uh, good little thing here. Fun little match. Um. I keep telling you guys about Roosh, right? And, 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 and listen, I know a lot of people are excited about him because it's the first time they can really, you know, he's on national TV and he's, you know, entering a lot more collective consciousnesses. So a lot of people are new to Roosh, right? Um, and he's probably very, very excited to show his boss that he's worth the money. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see in the... Uh, I'm excited to see what we're what we're discussing regarding Roosh in a year from now. I really am. And look here, another match that uh, ended cleanly. Huh, huh, another clean finish. Jeez, Luis, what the hell's going on? After the match, though, Private Party are about to jump Adam Page. John Moxley comes out. He's within the audience. He comes out. You know, Moxley, here's the thing. He comes out without any music, you know, to sort of shove off uh, to, to get Private Party to hit the brick so that they don't jump Adam Page. But he doesn't come out to any music and he comes out through the audience, right? A lot of people, that's why John Moxley doesn't get it. He, he's in no trouble backstage. He doesn't hang out in the locker room. He's at concessions. You know, he's having a, he's having a slice. He's uh, having the dipping dots. 
Anyway, he gets on the mic, squares up with Hangman, says about, uh, you know, waiting for this for three years, watching and studying Paige because he knew this was coming. And he says, between the two of them, they've beaten up just about everyone there is in AEW except each other. And I like that. Hypes up their fight on October 18 in Cincinnati. He's about to hit out to, to hit the bricks. But Paige tells him, he says, look, if you've been waiting this long, why don't we do this right now? Moxley comes back in, grabs the mic, gets right in Hangman's face and says, calls him a sweet kid. And like a lot of kids around here, he runs his mouth and gets himself in trouble. We're just going to let that one, we're just going to let that one breathe for a second. Backstage, Willow in Willow, Willow Nightingale gets interviewed, and she says she's going to challenge Jade for the TBS title at Battle for the Belts. Jade and the Baddies show up. Jade says she's beat her twice already. Why does she think a third? Why does she think third times the charm? Kind of thing. Willow says nobody can win forever. I like this. Kind of out of the kind of out of nowhere. The thing here, this is what's annoying about. Will not getting a graphic is because Tony Khan knows knows he's got something special with her. He knows. Otherwise, he wouldn't be doing this shit. He wouldn't be having her win on the flagship show and then heading on to the to to, to the other show. Uh, well, they're, like they're you know they're one of their special quarterly events uh, to to fight uh, to fight one of their champs. He knows what he's doing. So there's really one of two scenarios here. You belt you belt Willow. Either you do that, like, if, if you're going to go full-on uh, 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 organic growth, popularity, fan favorite right now, uh, just go straight in. Just dive right in. The TBS title kind of needs a little shot in the arm, and to be perfectly honest, uh, I think Jade is, uh, I think Jade has outgrown the title. She needs to go after something else. She needs to be wrestling other women. Like, you know, clearly she's the mid-card gatekeeper. That's the thing. She needs to be elsewhere. She needs to be doing other shit. I and I think that's the kind of I think that's the kind of conversation that she's having with Tony these days. She's telling Tony, cut the shit. You need to put me in some top tier pro programs with the top tier women of this company. Stop making me fight Julia Hart all the time. Congratulations to uh, Julia Hart on her uh, engagement to uh, Sean Dean. Sean Dean, right? Is it Sean? I'm happy. Is it Sean Dean or Lee Johnson? I can't remember. Someone in the chat correct me so I can edit this properly. Lee Johnson. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, Sean Dean is married with kids. literally blanked um anyway we'll, we'll so we'll see what happens uh djmc left us a super chat thank you very much Digmusk. he says uh he saw roosh pacing back and forth a lot backstage right before the show also he was the only one not to sell all the way to the back why am i mod here uh yeah I'm not surprised. 
I'm telling y'all, there's there there's 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 a grace period when it comes to Roosh. And a lot of y'all are, are really excited because he's a shiny new uh, acquisition. And he's like, oh, this big old lucha dude who's really strong and really intense. You know, we got to give him everything. But Roosh comes with his own baggage. Just saying. I'm just saying. I don't know why I'm using that voice all of a sudden. My Scooby-Doo voice. Is that good? <laughs> That's kind of my Scooby-Doo voice right there. Hey, shout out to Velma. Right? Shout out to Velma. Being, uh, she, they're finally, they, 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 they've pulled the trigger. She, in canon, is officially a lesbian. LGBTQ Velma. Something, something all of us have known for a very long time, but, you know, it's long-term storytelling. I was reading something interesting. Why am I talking about Scooby-Doo all of a sudden? I've always liked Scooby-Doo. Like, and, and, and as many of you know, I am very, very fucking old. So I am old enough to, you know, actually have watched Saturday morning cartoons with first run Scooby-Doo cartoons on them. You know, Scooby-Doo, where are you? And the, uh, the Scooby-Doo mysteries and so on and so forth. So I don't know. There's always been like a soft spot for Scooby-Doo for me. And... I was re- I was reading an article recently about you know the the producer the the writers of Mystery Inc, which was uh, a version of Scooby Doo that's maybe at this point uh, ten years old something like that. It was a bit of a revamp a reboot where they went a little goofier on stuff and, and they had in the show they had Velma and Shaggy in a relationship. And while um, while the producers of the show didn't want them to actually go out and you know and and paint Velma as uh, as gay, um, you know they were like, well, look, we're going to make her relationship with Shaggy awkward because the relationship that she had with Shaggy was very unfulfilling, um, and uh, you know they were they were like, well, in part of this is because you know she you know she still she was still exploring trying to figure out who she was and now we're moving on to this new incarnation of Velma where she's just full-blown no no need to worry anymore and I dig that I'm good with that I like that stuff that that's some long-term storytelling right there I'm excited for WWE to have long-term storytelling now that they have a director wait I'm jumping topics here Luchasaurus squished Fuego del Sol um so that's a shame for, for Fuego. But after the match, Jungle Boy runs in, wallops Luchasaurus with a chair, cuts a promo, and now he's going to break him. And Christian says, you're going to have a chance to break him at my hometown of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Why was everyone from Canada last night, and especially Christian, calling it Toronto? No one in this country says Toronto. No one, no, only the CBC says there was something that happened in Toronto today. Like, I will, everyone else just calls it Toronto. It's Toronto. You, you, you go to Toronto, Ontario. T.O. No one says Toronto. Although, you know, there were heels. 
get a video for the All-Atlantic Championship match between Pac and Trent. That's going to be happening at Battle for the Belts. And we have uh, a uh, the main event. Jericho Appreciation Society made up of Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeating Brian Danielson and Daniel Garcia. A lot of spite, a lot of tension in this match. I liked it. Uh, I enjoyed the main event. I thought it was a lot of fun. Dive in a missile dropkick by Danielson. Uh, Danielson catches Guevara out of thin air and butterfly suplexes him, which was pretty dope. Uh, Sammy hits a top rope Spanish fly. He gets into a hockey fight with Garcia. Sharpshooter by Garcia on Chris Jericho. The Lion Salt is countered as well by lifting knees. Daniel Garcia avoids the GTH and hits a pile driver. Jericho puts Daniel Bryan, excuse me, Brian Danielson through a table. Garcia then locks the sharpshooter in again on Garcia, but Chris Jericho clocks him with the belt without referee Aubrey seeing it. Well, listen, can we talk about a little bit how Aubrey, I find, has been slipping? Be, you know, Paul Turner, like he's he's top top tier ref in AEW. I always felt Aubrey was, you know, close second, uh, right behind him. And, and, and you know, at the, yeah, your fucking rock bottom, you know, Rick Knox. <laughs> I feel Aubrey slipping towards Rick Knoxville more and more. She's not as, I, like, I, I, she should be embarrassed that she missed that belt shot. She really should. Guevara then ends up pinning Daniel Garcia too. That's a hell of a decision to do right there. This was in the 15-minute overrun. And look, I'm going to be transparent with y'all. I was expecting something. I'm like, 15-minute overrun. We haven't heard much about, you know, the. it just so happened a couple of weeks ago that it was leaked that, you know, the elite hadn't heard from AEW in regards to their suspension. I'm like, well, this is very suspicious. You know, I had the bullshit... Had the bullshit meter going. And I was like, wait a second. What if the elite show up at the end? But no dice. I thought this, look, I thought the match was fine. I thought the finish was strange. I thought the visual of, uh, you know, everyone hoisting uh, Sammy Guevara up on their shoulders, you know, like some sort of reverse Lex Luger type of situation is weird to me. I thought it finished on a very, very a, a, a strange finish. I understand why they did it. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I understand. I know we're wrestling. I still don't think it was the right call. Sammy getting the pin. Ah, Jericho could have done a little something, something here. It's a little weird. It's a little strange to me, especially no. Sammy's not. You know we're you know we're talking about uh, Andrade El Idolo, but um, Sammy Guevara is not. Uh, he's doesn't have. A, he's not a, anyone's favorites really, except those three people in the audience that had those uh, "I love Sammy" signs, right? He he's not necessarily making any friends. And again, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna. 
somehow Sammy Guevara's, uh, you know, to get in the middle of a, you know, of a thing. You know, uh, not playing nice with the people, you know, and impact and, uh, you know, all that stuff with the suspension and, I don't know. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes if it seems like everyone else is the problem, sometimes it's uh, not necessarily everyone else. That's the problem. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I thought this was a very good episode of Dynamite. I enjoyed it a great deal, despite the fact that I thought, you know, I was hoping for something a little more climactic towards the for 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 the end to wrap this one up. <clears throat> um, live battle of the belt this Friday All-Atlantic title Pac against Trent I think Pac retains Ring of Honor tag team titles FTR against the Gates of Agony I'm looking forward to this FTR retains and the TBS title Jade Cargill against Willow Nightingale I'm particularly pumped for this just because of everything that happened on Wednesday super excited for this and yes, Pack is, as uh, the chat is pointing out, Pack is pulling double duty on Friday because on Rampage, there's the trios titles that are going to be on the line against the Dark Order. Again, like, you know, Battle of the Belts, not necessarily the most compelling card. You're like, okay. Well, look, I really liked the last one. I thought the last... Battle of the Belts 3, I thought was the best Battle of the Belts they had put on so far. Let's see what happens here. And that's, that's Dynamite. Thank you everyone for still being here. We're not done. We are not done. Because uh, I still have to preview Extreme Rules from World Wrestling Entertainment. It is happening this weekend, this Saturday. It's a Saturday. Isn't that nice? of WWE to have done this because I, I I was like oh well you know it's the big Thanksgiving meal on Sunday you know my son's coming over uh I I, I won't be able to watch it oh but then it turns out it's on Saturday so I'll be able to watch it oh come on you love the you love the WWF talk It's a Saturday show, so I'll be able to to indulge, which which is good. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at this uh, at this card <clears throat> that is being put together by Paul Levesque and 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 crew. The Brawling Brutes taking on the Imperium in a six man tag team, good old fashioned Donnie Brook match. Honestly, this is the match I'm most looking forward to. This is one that I'm because um, right now. Seamus, Ridge, Butch, Gunter, Ludwig, and uh, 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 Fabian Eichner, whatever they call him now. They've been, they have been by far, and I mean leaps and bounds. I'm talking light years. The best reason to watch SmackDown. They've been fantastic. This, it's, it's been good. I'm excited to see how this turns out. This should be this should be a lot of fun. Then we get Edge versus Finn Balor, who will be accompanied by the Judgment Day in an I Quit match. Um, 
Finn Balor and Edge, first time ever fighting each other in a singles match. Interesting. Um, I honestly don't know. Look, Edge matches for for me, right? Uh, they've been misses for me. Um, and, you know, everyone... I know you're all going to tell me Seth Rollins and, and Edge at the uh, fucking uh, Blood Money show. I don't watch the... I don't watch the Saudi shows, so too bad. It sucks. It sucks for them. It sucks for them that I can't... I won't see their best match. But Edge matches have been... have been misses for me most of the time. Um, and, you know... I want to get excited about Finn Balor, but uh, WWE makes it really hard for me to get excited about Finn Balor. And I haven't been excited about Finn Balor in a long time because I feel like I'm going to be, I feel like I'm going to, I like I'm going to be, um, I, I, I feel they're going to raise, they're going to raise expectations and then they're going to pull the rug from under me again. You know, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to love Finn, undeniably. You know, I, I'll you know I can always go back to when he was um, Prince uh, Prince Devitt. That's that was fun. And then I quit match with the microphones and everything. Like that's the thing. It's just gonna be so fucking goofy with the microphones and all. I hate I hate these microphone things. I like I hate the microphone gimmick when they do I quit matches in WWE. I really do. I'm. You know what? It's when they put the microphone to the other guy's mouth when he's not ready to quit, and then he knows that he's there. So then the guy starts overselling the fact that he's no. You know, it's like oh my god. You know, I still remember very much the Ronda Rousey Charlotte Flair I quit match that we got just a couple of months ago. Anyway, Finn's probably losing, right? Bianca Belair will be defending her Raw Women's Championship against Bayley in a ladder match. I'm still in the same position I was uh, from just a couple of months ago. Uh, I want wrestling promotions to make me miss ladder matches. Uh, you know, everyone's like, in a ladder match. I'm like, again, again. And it's a shame. It's a shame because it's just everyone does them. I guess they're easy to put on. I guess it, you know, I'm still I'm exactly in the same spot I was uh, at All Out, and I I want a a I want a year moratorium. I want I want a a, a confederation of wrestling promotions to gather and sit down and write a treaty and agree on it, and all put their John Hancock's on it. Saying, we are not going to put on any ladder matches until 2024. Make me miss it. Because I'm like, okay. And I love Bailey. I like Bianca a great deal. They're fantastic. Like, there's no reason for this to suck. Outside of the fact that it'll probably be overbooked. Because you're going to have damage control. And uh, uh, Asuka and um, Alexa Bliss. Who are going to be around there as well. So there's probably going to be like tons of shenanigans. At the same time, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to throw too much uh, cold water on this because the Raw women 
have been highlights of the last few pay-per-views. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sit around and go, well, this is going to, I don't think it's going to stink. Look, at, you know, it's my personal hangups. I'm sick of ladder matches. Um, I, you know, I'm afraid that this is going to be overbooked. See what happens. I think Bianca retains. Although Bailey should win because her stable is supposed to be dominant, right? But I don't think they look. Why would they have Bailey win this title and really establish a, a, a damage control as a dominant stable when they couldn't do it the first time out of the gate with the tag team tournament where they had to redo the match two weeks later to give the titles to Io Shirai and, 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 and Dakota Kai. Where they had to have fucking Raquel and um, what's her face? Aaliyah win. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't think the booking has that foresight. I really don't. Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross. If we're being honest, it's a strap match. If we're being honest here, uh, this is Karrion Cross's match. This is the one he has to shine in. Because there's a lot of doubters out there. There's a lot of people who are very, very unconvinced in regards to old Karrion. Um, I, I don't know how this is going to go. I, I think Drew's fantastic. I think, I think, um, I, I'm, I'm a big Drew McIntyre guy. I still think he's, uh, I think, I, I think he's misused. You know, if the plan is still for Karrion Cross to be a challenger for Roman, well, he's going to have to win this one with a strap, a strap. I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of this. I, I really don't. And other than, look, other than Karrion Cross, I feel has to turn up in this match. That's what he has to do because he's been barely wrestling since he's come back. As much as everyone was excited for him to come back, he hasn't been doing much. Matt Riddle versus Seth freaking Rollins in a fight pit. Daniel Cormier will serve as special guest referee. MMA legend Daniel Cormier, um, who is a noted WWE fan. And honestly, that it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't bother me at all, actually. I'm excited to see the fight pit back. You know, this is clearly a Triple H thing. It's all right. I love the fight pit. I think it's great. I don't like Matt Riddle. And quite honestly, I think uh, Seth has been having a, a, a fantastic year. I really think Seth Rollins has, has been having a very, very, very strong 2022. Not many misses on his resume this year. I mean, look, Seth should win. I think he's the baby face because everything he does is cool and he's insulting Matt Riddle and that's great. I think he's the baby face. 
And then Liv Morgan is going to defend her SmackDown Women's Championship in an Extreme Rules match against Ronda Rousey. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, uh, 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 Liv Morgan is extreme now. She she's extreme. She 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 you know she's got the kendo sticks. She's gonna wield them around. She's gonna toss people into uh, uh, she she's gonna toss people into the uh, into the steps into the barricades. I mean, we're done, right? We're done with the Liv Morgan experiment at this point, right? We are, aren't we? It has to be. We're, we're, we're putting the title back on Ronda, right? Did, you're not paying a Ronda Rousey salary and not having her be the champion, right? Not having her be the, the face of the division. It makes no sense. Look, Charlotte's coming back. Charlotte Flair's coming back. Who are you going to put in the Who are you going to put in the ring against Charlotte Flair? Live? Come on now. Live was a, a it was a nice little moment. It's cute. It was fun. Uh, you know, it'll be fine. And now she's going to uh she's going to uh go back, uh, you know, form a tag team with someone, and she'll, you know, likely they'll not they'll likely never uh have her sniff another uh title shot again. That's all right. You know, she she will always have been at least a SmackDown Women's Champion, but like, you know, most women on the roster as well. You know, she's fine. She's all right. But they never had faith in her, is my point. This is, this is, you know, don't misconstrue me. Never, it, this is, my criticisms of, of, Liv Morgan as champion have never been about Liv Morgan herself, but the way she's been booked, she has not been booked as a strong champion. She never has. She's been booked as a lucky champion, someone who's lucked out of, who lucked into the, into the wins. Got one over, uh, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank for some reason, Shayna Baszler. And now, She's back to Ronda Rousey, who she's never really beaten. Let's not forget, she's never really beaten decisively. And there's a reason for that. It's because Ronda Rousey's the baddest woman on the planet, or so we've been told. You know, for those of y'all who've been fed-pilled, right? She's the baddest woman on the planet, so how can cute little Liv Morgan... How can she get one up when she can't even beat her proper, right? Because she tapped out that one time at SummerSlam. I'm afraid that this one's going to go on too long. I'm afraid that this match is going to... It's going to be booked too long and it's going to be to the disservice of Liv Morgan. That's what I'm expecting here. Um, you know what? I think overall, this has the potential to be a this has the potential to be a good show, nonetheless. Barring any weird ass booking, now 
Are we going to find out who the rabbit is, who the white rabbit is, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt? Is he going to show up? He has to at this point. I talked about the white rabbit last week and I want to do it again this week. But it's it it's boring. It's boring as hell. It's not fun. This isn't fun. There's no deep intrinsic lore that we're going. We're just dropping stuff. We're being cryptic. He has to show up. My point here is that Bray Wyatt has to show up uh, at uh, at Extreme Rules because look, we saw what happened a couple of weeks ago when people were were thinking that he was going to show up on on SmackDown because they did the first QR code on Raw. So then everyone tunes into SmackDown. SmackDown pops a big rating. He doesn't show up. What happens afterwards? Well, the ratings keep slipping. The ratings keep going down. Despite the QR codes, despite the fact that old Bray might show up, people are like, people know WWE's tricks at this point. That's the thing. So we have so much precedent to look back on. And you're like, there's no point in me tur- turning in, tuning in, because they're just gonna they're just gonna drag this out. This isn't compelling storytelling. This isn't good stuff. It's the same thing happening over and over and over again. You're treading water. And the big reveal, the big thing that everyone wants to see is Bray Wyatt showing up. That's what the WWE fans want. So just give it to them. Oh, we're going to wait till till we're on the we're going to wait till we're on the the award-winning Peacock on the WWE Network Peacock. We're going to wait till we do that at the big, big Extreme Rules show this Saturday. And I'm like, why? Why even wait for that? There's no point. There's no point. Bray has to, Bray has to come out. They have to reveal Bray. He has to be, he has to be introduced at this point. Otherwise, they're just going to, it's just going to be stringing people along and that... People are going to get exhausted of that. They're going to get upset. And some people are already upset. And again, it, it's it's not fun. <laughs> you know, like if 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 all the pieces that were being put together, if all these, if all the puzzles were being put together into one thing, then it'd be exciting. This is very, very ordinary. It's very, very basic. Very, very level one. Very, very WWE. We'll see what happens. And again, you know, just to, again, be very clear. I like Bray Wyatt. I've always liked Bray Wyatt. I always thought it was fun. You can see, you can you can always pinpoint the moments where Vince gets his, got his his fingers into it. Like, well, there we go. Now we're losing the plot. Now it's not fun anymore. Now it's not cool. Now it's not interesting. Now it's just annoying. Oh, let's see what happens with a Vinceless Bray Wyatt. Stardom five-star Grand Prix 2022 championship battle took place on October 1st in Tokyo, Japan at the Musashino Forest Sports Plaza Main Arena. There's there's your mouthful right there. Um, out, straight off the bat, straight out the gate as we're swinging for the fences here. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Uh, 
this was one of my top shows of the year. I thought this show was excellent. Just a great professional wrestling show. Um, I think that if it hadn't been for, if it had not been for Forbidden Door, I think this would be my favorite uh, uh, pay-per-view big show of the year. Um, this was excellent. Just some great stuff uh, that just worked so well to the very top. And look, here's the thing. This is what we're going to be talking about. This is what, look, look there, there were a lot of matches. And, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about this before we go. And I don't want to spend another half hour going through everything. So, you know, I'm going to talk about the matches that I really, really liked. Like I said, great card, excellent work from top to bottom. But there's some standout matches. There's a lot of standout matches, actually. And I'm going to focus on those uh, instead of, like, breaking down everything here. Uh, we had uh, uh, we had Mina Shirakawa defeating Natsupoi. And uh, this was, look, there was, some, there was some bad blood in this match here where Natsupoi had left her old stable DDM, Donna Del Mundo, to join the Cosmic Angels. And she had been getting the full attention of Tom Nakano, who is the leader of the Cosmic Angels. And just so happens, Natsupoi's uh, 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 tag team partner as well. And Mina, in the meantime, she's like, oh, okay. She's a little pissed because, you know, this, you know, the new girl comes in and she gets all the boss's attention. So, you know, there was a little, you know, a little jealousy, a little, uh, a little annoyance here. But this was a lot of fun as Mina worked over Natsupoi's knee, uh, dragon screw leg whips and drop kicks. And she dragon screw leg whips Natsupoi off the top rope, wins with the figure four. Fun. High paced. Great match. Well, well worked. I liked it. Then we had uh, Momo, Momo Watanabe defeating Hazuki. And this one was quite good. Quite good. Momo attacks before the bell here and goes hard on the floor. Uh, she's not kidding. She's really not kidding around in this match. She really is like she's in for some punishment here. Hazuki lands some incredible kicks to the head. Look, and at some point she has Momo on the top rope. Okay, so Hazuki has Momo on the top rope. She jumps over Momo, stomps her on her back, and then lands on the mat. Momo's like, she's stunned on the top rope. So Hizuki then turns around and takes her off, just yanks her off into a backstabber. Beautiful stuff. It's a great match again with a lot of high, high off, uh, high octane offense. Michinoku drivers, vertical top brain drop, brain buster. Tora, which is one of uh, Momo's partners, she interferes and keeps the ref from counting the three on Momo. Who hits a Big Bang Theory and a Peach Thunder Driver for the win. Great stuff. We get Mayu Iwatani as well defeating Starlight Kid. This was probably my second favorite match of the night. Just excellent stuff. Absolutely excellent stuff. Competitive. Fierce. Iwatani hoists Starlight Kid on her thighs. like She's holding her on her thighs and cranks her back. In a dragon sleeper, and one of the wildest moves I've seen. I was like, 
just incredible stuff. The strength required to do that, nuts. Get a mood of moonsault and a numero dos. As uh, Starlight Kid uses her legs to chin lock Mayu in the numero dos as well. Mayu hits a Frankensteiner. They forearm each other. Mayu hits an awesome dragon suplex and a moonsault and hits her high bridging dragon suplex for the win. Excellent, excellent stuff. I, I recommend this match highly. It will be the best 13 minutes. The best use of 13 minutes you will do in your day. And watch Mayu Otani versus Starlight Kid. Fantastic. Love the match. Then we got Julia versus Suzu Suzuki that went to a time limit draw. This, and this was another match that had a lot of bad blood going into it and long time history between these two that dates back to them being roommates when they were together in in prominence uh, in, in in the ice ribbon promotion right and julia had left years previous to the exodus of the prominence uh women from ice ribbon to stardom she had left for stardom a long time before her stablemates all came in so Basically, what I'm trying to say here is that Julia and Suzu Suzuki were friends before uh, before all of this went down. So there's a lot of emotion in this one and a lot of great wrestling. Julia gets a, an exploder suplex. Suzuki strikes with some vicious ground and pound on top of that. Sliding German and an avalanche gut wrench slam on top of that. Julia lands, locks in her Bianca move and works the taped up arm of Suzuki. Julia lands the glorious driver, but Suzuki kicks out of it. Suzuki hits some crawling Germans, but we reach uh, uh, the time limit on this one. And, and startup matches are short when it comes to the time limit draws, right? Non-title matches are 15 minutes, so this was great. We're on a roll here. I, I, I'm just enjoying this show so much. And there's, again, a bunch of matches that are very, very good as well that I'm skipping over. But I'm going to talk about Himeka versus Micah. Another, 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 another great match. Super physical. Spending the better part of the, uh, of the first part of the match just trying to clothesline each other, trying to knock each other down. These are two strong women. Powerful. Trying to use power moves on each other. They're, you know, we're, 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 we're in a, uh, a, a stalemate. They drop each other with suplexes on the floor. We get a stalling superplex as well. A running powerbomb. It ends with more strikes and a double knockout punch. Ref counts to 10. Neither women can get back up to their feet. Calls the draw. Great shit. I was into this one. Then we had Shuri and Riza Sarah here. That starts off with some great grappling between the two and a big swing by Riza Sarah and Shuri lands a butterfly suplex and then she just goes ballistic on her. She's so good. Liger bomb by Sarah, German by Shuri, air raid crash by Sarah and, and a big kick by Shuri. Uh, uh, Riza Sarah lands the Ayers Rock 2. Shuri locks in an arm bar, clutches the neck with her legs. But Riza Sarah reverses and rolls Shiri on her back, transitioning into a pinfall win. I think this one took a lot of onlookers by surprise, but it was really good. And that leads us into the main event where Julia defeated Tom Nakano 
to become the five-star Grand Prix 2022 winner. And this is an excellent match. This is an excellent match that I cannot recommend enough. Go out, seek it out, find it and enjoy it. Starts out strong out the gate and it should, right? It has to start out strong and with urgency because it's the finals. Can't just like sit around goofing off. Julie works the hurt arm. Does a hammerlock throw, crossbody off the top rope to the floor by Tom. There's an avalanche double underhook German suplex by Nakano as well. Julia hits an avalanche butterfly suplex then. They fight on the floor and up the ramp. Nakano lands a DDT on Julia, then runs all the way up to the ramp, then runs all the way back down for a flying knee strike. Julia then hits a pendulum DDT. We get back into the ring. We get a glorious driver. We get a velvet dryer. The ladies are kicking out at one out of these moves. Julia hits another glorious driver. And a Northern Lights bomb finally is able to put Nakano away. Like I said, wins the five-star Grand Prix. Look, you match of the year, I'm going to put it on my list. I, I'm going to put... I'm going to... I'm going to put it on my long list. We'll see where it lands. But this was absolutely phenomenal. Exquisite stuff. Just like, you know, top level athletes. And look, we, we have to stop pretending, you know, because I know we like to talk about, you know, the how great the women's divisions are, you know, and so on and so forth and, you know, North American wrestling. But if you want the best women's wrestling on the planet you head to japan and you you find this show you find the five star grand prix 2022 just absolutely remarkable a great show which is great this is mostly what i refer to when i go to when i say just just let them wrestle right let them do what they do best which is wrestling Treat them like athletes. Let them compete. Let them fight for fighting's sake, right? This is what it is here. And it's not like the whole thing is devoid of stories. I've told you a couple of tales here. And most of the time, then the stories develop in the ring. The strategies that are being used for between the women to try and get one up on the other, so on and so forth. That's what this is all about. This was an extraordinary, extraordinary show capped off by a, 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 a match of the year. There's a couple in here that if people were like, yeah, this was a match of the year for me, this was, a, I wouldn't be surprised. Nothing but good stuff from top to bottom here. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. Anyway, you should check it out. At the very least, check out the main event. And at the very least, we are going to wrap up this week's Weekly Wrestling Inspection. There we go. And we are going to wrap up this week's edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show as well. Look, if you're still here and you haven't already, consider giving the video a like. I appreciate it. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast application, thank you very much. Uh, a review. Uh, a rating. That, that kind of stuff. It helps out a great deal, and I appreciate it as well. But I mostly appreciate you, regardless, regardless, mostly appreciate you 
allowing me to buzz in your ears and enter your your frontal lobes for a while uh, as I talk pro wrestling again this week. Uh, hope you have a fantastic rest of your week on top of that because you really deserve it, you really do. And I uh, hope you have a great weekend. By the way, if you're on the fence and like, maybe I'll become a member of the Mr. Warren Show channel, look, I'm going to do a Going Broadway uh, a show uh, for the members for all the topics I didn't talk about on the show tonight, such as uh, WWE hiring a former Marvel dude to be the director of long-term storytelling. Okay, let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about that uh, tomorrow, likely be tomorrow. Uh, on, but for members only. So you have to become a member of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show channel here on YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes to be able to join in on the fun. Otherwise, thank you all again for joining me this week. Stay safe and I'll see you next time.